Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to November of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Three volumes for this month, I think the first time in about six months, we've had more than three. Uh, but there is a quite important volume, number one. We go to the WWF looking at Survivor Series and the last days in the WWF of Bret Hart. Volume number two takes the WCW and all the their side of the Bret Hart story, not that he's appeared yet. Um, and we also look at their World War Three pay-per-view. We're here in volume number three, taking ECW and their third ever pay-per-view, November to remember. I've been joined first by Peter Kimber. Peter, good evening. Evening, Bob. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. And Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. Good evening, Bob. We're all here Time for we are indeed. Time for some news. We have a three-time world champion, Shane Douglas. Chris, talk us through it. So, yes, uh, Shane Douglas has won the world heavy- ECW World Heavyweight title for the third time this month after beating Bam Bam Bigelow for the belt at the November to Remember pay-per-view. Going back to a story from the very, very end of uh, October, um, a, uh, a house show in... Uh, Plymouth, which I thought meant Devon, but apparently not, um, went, uh, got a bit riotous. They kind of had a, a full-scale riot with the crowd and police got called in to fill us in on all of that. Yeah, so on Thursday, October 30th, which is, this is why we didn't cover it last month because we didn't hear about it, um, at a house show, as you say, in Plymouth in Pennsylvania, the National Guard Ar- Armoury, over 40 police officers um, from half a dozen police departments were called to calm a riot. A group of around eight muscular fans in their 20s uh, sat near the highway, and they were being extremely vocal and appeared to uh, be trying to draw attention to themselves during the whole of the show. The vocal fans finally did something that went over the edge by spitting at Balls Mahoney. One fan then took a swing at Balls. Axel then swung back at them just as a basis of warning shot. But that wasn't close enough to hit anyone. Do, do you think the fans chatted balls and nuts while all this was going on? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, the fans then took a full-fledged swing at Axel. Security then stepped in, and the instigating fans began to struggle with security. At this point, out came the boys, including most of the five teams involved in the match at the time. Bobber Ray was especially aggressive in trying to stop the group of integrators, including nailing one of them with a plastic chair while the fans were on his knees. The police who were working security for the show had called for help, including, as I said, several dozen officers from six or eight neighbouring townships arrived, which got there in about five minutes of the call. Because of around 800 fans that were at the show, the police did fear that it was going to get completely out of hand and reach a full-scale riot. Detective John Lawrence said it was nice to have the other officers arrive and that the show seemed to go a little bit more controlled than it should have done. The main criticism against ECW's conduct in the incident was that their wrestlers went after the fans in the crowd, which put others at risk. However, the detective said that the wrestlers were not at fault, that there was chairs spilling all over the place and it looked like a near riot. The wrestlers weren't really fighting, but they were trying to protect the other wrestlers. In an interesting antidote, Heyman made sure that New Jack was kept out the back and couldn't join in the fight, namely because they were worried that, you know, we may have got another incident, like Eric Coolis, or worse. 
They, uh, uh, Dave Meltzer said this. He was worried that New Jack was going to go out there and kill one of the fans. I mean, that's that's it, right? It wasn't it was anything else other than that. <laughs> don't send New Jack out during a riot if you don't want body bags at the end of it. Is basically the sto- the moral of that story. Pretty um, much. Chris, new attendance record. Again, another... I've seen some conflicting opinions on exactly how many people there, but we're pretty sure they definitely broke it. So, yeah, um, the numbers that I have um, show the November to November show in the Golden Dome in Monarch, Pennsylvania, drew an attendance record of 4,634 people, with 4,218 of them paying about $103,000 plus an additional just shy of $44,000 in merchandise for the whole of the event. The previous record was in the same building was 2,200 people, so pretty much doubling what they had the last time. Yeah, I know Wade Keller reported 33. I think 4.6 is a little high. Um, you know, particularly they, they've done that show for TV before, and if the record was 2 2, it's like the, the, the building never looked half empty, but but uh, it was certainly busy, let's say that. Uh, speaking of that show, a, uh, a, a quite surprised return, there were a couple actually. Uh, Stevie Richards back at least for, for one night only, and no one's really sure what's going on. Yeah, so as we mentioned last week in the, or last month in the news, there was rumours floating around that Stevie hadn't actually signed a deal with WCW. This seems to have been true, as during the Tommy Dreamer and RVD match, Stevie makes a surprising return, super-kicking Tommy to help RVD. Uh, Chris, your notes here simply say, random tits in Queens. I'll let you take this away. <laughs> so, reports coming from the taping of this, the last week's TV for this month are uh, saying that halfway through this TV taping, a woman in the front row of the stage was revealing her breasts, apparently, to the crowd. The New York State Athletic Commission ordered Heyman to go out there and do something about the nudity. Heyman finally came out and literally halted the show for about 20 minutes, waiting for her to reveal her tits to him. Classy. At first, she attempted to come down and actually get into the ring, but Heyman wouldn't let her come down and go over the railings. She then went back on stage and wouldn't, didn't show anything anymore. Heyman waited and finally said, you wanted to steal the show. Well, now everyone's eyes are on you. The entire crowd was standing, focused on her. Heyman told her, people really want the, to see the blonde next to you show her tits too. Heyman told the woman that she shouldn't be flattered over the size, but, you know, they're just fat. You're a bit round, they're a bit big. He said, now let's see a real set. And at this point, out come the Blue Meanie and Nova to dance to the YMCA. I'll be honest, if, <laughs> if, if someone said to me that there's going to be a story this month about Jenna Jameson and the story this month about a woman nearly revealing her tits, I would have thought it would be a lot more exciting than that. But, uh, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, the, the final item of the month, Chris, uh, not surprising at all, this, uh, the ECW style is continuing to beat the living shit out of their own wrestlers. So, the injury toll just from November to remember itself was rather large. So, Tommy Rogers injured his neck. Tommy Dreamer injured his good ankle after spending so long favouring the bad broken one, which he's been wearing a cast for all month. Sandman injured his shoulder, his arm, banged up his ribs, 
in what has to be called the probably the sloppiest performance of his career in his match against Sabu. And Shane Douglas is suspected to be needing surgery to clear some bone chips from his elbow. Pete, what in on any of that? Yeah, I mean, Tommy Dreamer should really be nowhere near a wrestling ring right now. And I think, I guess the star's going to catch up eventually, isn't it, with these guys? Because, I mean, the Sandman, I mean, we'll come to that match later on, but how the guys, I don't know, even Sabu as well, even living at that point is unbelievable. So there's going to be some serious issues, you know, now in their lives. I'd imagine at some point, 10, 20 years later, they're really going to be struggling. So, uh, yeah, suffering for their art, I would suggest. Chris, any thoughts on any of the above? Uh, yeah, it's just obviously with uh, the injuries, it was only a matter of time that we started sort of getting them ramped up with the fact that, you know, every time they're doing the big pay-per-views, they are pushing themselves further and further. Um, and, you know, I'm very happy to say that Stevie's back, and hopefully he's back for good. Yeah, um, you know, we talk about ECW needing needing guys to up the work rate, up the batting average in the company. They also need the odd star just to shake things up. And, and you know, I don't want to overstate Steve Rich's ability, but I think he is a star at this point in ECW's roster if they have got him around a bit more. Well, he definitely um, left as one uh, at that end of that run before he went over to WCW. Yeah, and it wouldn't be all that difficult to reboot him, um, you know, if, if he's around, you know, if they don't want to. The next pay-per-view is not until, I think, the very beginning of March. Um, so they're, they're going to have, presumably, at least one major show, possibly two in that time, in the uh, in Philadelphia. So, you know, it would make sense if uh, if Richards was put against Douglas. I think that would make a lot of sense. Um you know, and then they can, I presume they might go back to Douglas and uh, Bam Bam, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a busy old month. Um, you know, it's uh, fans getting involved is quite the story right now. You go back to, uh, God, go back to our view of Halloween Havoc and, and what happened at the end of that show. Go back to what happened on Raw at the beginning of this month where a, a quote-unquote fan got in the ring, Steve Blackman, and ended up on the pay-per-view. Um you know, it's, you don't want to say it's, you know, it's been coming, but it, it kind of has been. Uh, anyway. Me that it hasn't oh. happened before with ECW with the fact of how often they then go into the crowd. It, uh, it, it depends by what you, we mean when you say it hasn't happened. I mean, Douglas has got involved for, for you know, Douglas has got in trouble, I think, for clocking a fan before trying to defend Francine, and it does happen. Um, but yes, yeah, something like this, where something that a lot of the incidents involving ECW wrestlers and fans generally are quite contained, um, this was not that. Anyway, so onto the onto the, the the show. The paper is right at the end of November. We got four TVs to go through. Um, I think it's fair to say that three of them are going to be fairly brief. So much so that Chris has actually pre-taped the TVs for this month, one so we don't have to. Uh, spend so much time, you know, just pretending like we're caring about stuff on TV that isn't all that important. Uh, also makes our taping a little bit shorter, so that's nice. So we'll play for that in a bit. Those are shows two through four, and we'll play some promos in amongst that. Uh, but we've got a couple of promos from this show to listen to, and also uh, by CW TV standards, a pretty good match. I don't need your cheers. Clap for someone who did this. <laughs> Show you in brown. 
monkey away. You don't shut the up while a woman is talking. It's no damn wonder that city's got such a high divorce rate. Just a little over three weeks ago, you were all trying to plot and stuff. After I put funk out the pasture, I didn't need it then. And I want you to sit down now while I tell you why I'm so pissed off. Now, I've taken a lot of good natured ribbing in this business. about my body parts. And I gotta tell you, after four years, you're dead. Wrong. But seriously, it's at least 12 inches, ladies and gentlemen. out of the promo, sorry, uh, and into the match. Uh, Pete, we'll come to you. Uh, I, you know, occasionally I like to, you know, throw the throw the odd left hook at our guests. Indeed, and so indeed. On, uh, and this week I, I was watching the TVs and I just said, Pete, write up a match with me about this this three way dance and uh, you I can read yes. it out. So uh, <laughs> yes, more for you. Uh, so yeah, take us through it. No problem at all. So obviously. Before the uh, the announcers were introducing the competitors, it was quite funny to see Sabu complaining about Tommy's Tommy's walking cast. 
Oh, you know, it might be injuring Savary in the match, seeing as he uses all manner of tables and chairs and all sorts. So that was quite a funny start to the match. The match starts with all three men in the ring. Savary is intent on locking up with all three of them, or sorry, with all both men. Uh, a three-way tarp begins the match, but is released immediately. Um, to say Shane Douglas is the fittest man out there is not a, uh, a very kind indictment, but Sabu and Dreamer have very pronounced limps, and clearly Dreamer shouldn't be anywhere near the ring looking at the, the state of his walkout uh, when he first joined the ring. Uh, a second tie-up, another release, obviously a bit of a slow start, slow burner. Uh, Shane's the first to strike with a kick to Sabu, but he's headlocked by Tommy, who is then headlocked by Sabu. Sabu off the ropes and a shoulder block by Tommy while still holding Shane, cinched into the headlock. Shane pushes Tommy off and is then shoulder blocked to the mat, but shows nice agility with a kip up while Sabu barely gets up from the mat. Uh, another lock up and Tommy and Shane do, the, do some double teaming on Sabu, but he reverses and arm drags them both, but gets caught on a high cross body but quickly escapes and hits a moonsault off the second rope on Shane and Tommy for a two count. Now we have Sabu and Shane double teaming on Tommy. Bit of a theme for the match with various attempts of double teaming throughout it. And a back body drop and Tommy lands on his injured heel, which looked pretty nasty. And he looks, again, in serious pain out there. Why is he even out there? I mean, Jerry Styles on commentary claims that Tommy has signed a waiver absolving ECW for any further injuries that he will uh, receive. Which is just a shitty reference to the Steve Austin thing from uh, the month before. It can't be anything else. No, exactly. And Tommy Dream is clearly mad and obviously trying to act a bit of a a a tough guy out there. As Uh, if you could sue ECW. What for? I know. When you're getting chairs thrown at your face and all sorts, how could you sue anybody for anything out there? But there we go. Madness. Uh, The double team continues with a double suplex and another two count. Now, is this match an elimination three-way or is it just a... A three-way dance because it wasn't clear at the beginning. Well, they're all th- all three-way dances are elimination ECW. I think. It, yeah, it, it it's pretty much been standard. Yeah. Okay. They seem to be breaking up pins a few times during it. That's what I just I noted as well. Uh, all three men are back into the corner until Sabu breaks out after some stiff punches. He goes to hit Air Sabu on both men, uh, but Shane moves and Tommy bears the brunt, of course. But not uh, wishing to leave Shane out, Sabu hits a springboard attack on Shane, who retreated to what he thought was safety outside the ring. Bill Afonso and his fucking whistle are front and centre, and I guess why not? That's a pretty standard uh, fare for him. Uh, Sabu is now smacking um, both Shane and Tommy with a chair, and ends up uh, throwing a chair straight at Shane's face on the outside of the ring. A baseball slide to Tommy and Shane and Sabu is and Sabu is taking it to both of them. So Sabu has been in control of the match pretty much on offence. Barrel back in the ring and a leg drop to Tommy and an arm scissors on Shane to a vertical base with Sabu still in hold, but they get Russian leg sweep by Tommy in a very nice spot. Uh, a nice neck snap, neck snap a la Kurt Hennig on Sabu from Shane. I thought that was perfectly executed. You, you won't excuse the pun there. Uh, some spots with a folded chair and this match could go any way it was very competitive at this point and uh, a bit of a change to have that kind of, of match when we talk about the pay-per-view coming up a bit later on this, this was quite a wasn't a crazy match it was quite well controlled uh, now the chair is unfolded and Tommy gets his injured leg of course trapped um, after a knee shot uh, it's not quite Bret Hart but it seems like Shane and Sabu are focused on Tommy's injured foot which does make sense as he's wearing the cast with Tommy down, Sabu low blow Shane, 
Um, and after Shane's uh, promo at the beginning saying he had a 12-inch penis, I guess he's now down to 6 inches, obviously, on that one. Uh, Sabu flings a chair at a hopeless Tommy and goes off to Shane again on the outside. It's now been about five, six minutes, so it's now time for the tables to appear. A Sabu and Shane try and put it inside the ring, and a sprightly Tommy jumps up and hits a baseball slide uh, to both men. And on Sabu and Shane, this match is going to break down now. I'm guessing now the tables are involved. Tommy sets up the table in the ring, chair shot to Sabu. Tommy was looking to get, get a superplex through the table, but another low blow. Um, Tommy is laid out on the table, and Shane suplexes Sabu onto Tommy and through the table. Sabu then um, smacks um, Shane with a piece of table and uh, whips him into the remains of the, of the table into the corner. All three men are looking for the pin and Sabu takes a nasty looking double neck breaker which lays him out flat but Tommy breaks up the pin from Shane. Sabu is now taking the brunt of the abuse and gets a double chair assisted clothesline for his trouble. Bill Alfonso decides to step in to, to uh, stop another double team to Sabu which obviously brings Francine and Bueller into the match. Alfonso misses a fairly tame clothesline on both of them and gets double clotheslined himself. Um, that's one way of stopping from blowing that bloody whistle. Uh, Styles teases a Bueller and Francine alliance, which breaks down almost immediately. What a surprise. And the obligatory cat fight ensues, which is nice, I suppose, really. Or it gets, it gets a chance for Jay Styles to scream at the, uh, down the microphone. Well, if it would have been in the, if uh, Dusty Rose would have been paying attention to the show, he would have got some enjoyment out of it, if nobody else. <laughs> yes, true. Uh, Alfonso has, um, has um, sorry, what's the Alfonso has enough, but a failed double noggin knocker means he gets knocked down again with a double clothesline. Then we have the classic ECW violence towards women with stereo pile drivers to Bueller and from Shane and Tommy to Francine while looking at each other whilst doing it to their uh, respective partners. And I guess you could say quite a strange spot, seeing as they were both taken out and injured from the, uh, from the power drivers. Um, whilst these, they were both celebrating, there's an attack. Um, Savar is back with a huge double clothesline from the top rope. A triple jump moonsault, and Shane gets a two from Sabu. Uh, DDT on Douglas for, from Tommy, but the pin is broke up by an Arabian face buster on Shane after Tommy moved out of the way. At this point, Shane decides he's had enough, but is met by Bam Bam Bigelow in the aisle, who then pounds him and brings him back in towards the ring. In fact, indeed, throws him, a la sort of Spike Dudley-esque, back into the ring. Douglas is belly-to-belly, um, belly, which I'm not quite sure is the right thing to say, and Arabian face busted by Tommy and Sabir in success, which results in Shane being eliminated with a double pin. So Shane's now out of the match, leaving Toby and, Toby and Sabu are left... And Sabu goes straight for the foot. Tommy is held over the barricade. And here comes Sabu with a triple jump chair shot to Tommy in the crowd. Perfectly timed by Sabu. Must admit, throughout the match, the timing on this match was, was, was very good. There weren't many, many blown spots whatsoever. It's quite impressive from all three of them. Somehow, Tommy and Sabu are back in the ring. And Sabu is still on offence. Uh, an Arabian press, as uh, Jerry Styles call it, calls it, gets a two. And a springboard Hurricanrana gets another two. Sabu hurls a chair into Tommy's face. He sets up his next chair, based attack, but Tommy catches him with a big clothesline. Dreamer turns the tables with his own Arabian face buster, which gets a two, and a Death Valley driver, but there's no pin there. And here comes another table, which Tommy uses to DDT Sabu through from the top rope. No pin, and Tommy and Alf, uh, as Tommy gets cracked by Bill Alfonso straight on his foot, 
another Arabian face buster and a top rope lead drop and Tommy only gets a two and a half. Uh, a triple jump moussel later and Sabu finally picks up the win. What did you think, guys? I was going to say, well done, Pete. That review might well have been longer than the match. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 sh- I shouldn't laugh about that, but yeah, it's uh, well. Nobody realizes that most of my match reviews are very much just highlights. I think everyone seems to think I've read them all out. Not to say that it's uh, that's the wrong approach, but on some shows, it's uh, it's advisable to cut some stuff out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say. That. But to be fair, of of all the match reviews, well, this is probably the one worth covering in detail. Uh, I would say, uh, Chris, thoughts on this match? It is definitely thirty minutes that you have to watch. Um, it is the quintessential triple freeway dance. You've got all your crazy shit that you want to see, especially when you have Sabu in a match, but some really initiative or inhibitive ways of using the extra guys. Like when Shane superplexes Sabu through Tommy on a table was just genius. You know, um, Tommy and Shane doing the powerbomb neckbreaker bo- neck combo. I have to say, I did love the bit when Beulah and Francine decided to beat the shit out of Fonzie. That was great, but can we stop having, you know, the women getting pile-driven? I know we say it every time we see it. It's been done now. We don't really need to see it again. Um, I liked Bam Bam coming out and basically stopping Shane from running away. You know, it sort of added to their feud going in. And, as you know, as I said... Sabu does all the things that you want to see Sabu doing. Great match. Definitely worth half an hour of your time. But Yeah, I'd say of, of, of November's um, shows and matches, this was probably the, the best match we were going to see, I think. And having watched it a couple of times, having to sort of review it like I did, um, I thought the way they, they did everything was, was spot on. There was nothing you wouldn't think looked out of place. I said there was no blown spots. Everything landed correctly. They all had their own um, chance on offense. You didn't know quite who was going to win. There was no, you know, there was no telling there at all. And uh, I really, if, you, if you're going to, I think as Chris said, a prototype three-way dance, there's your best example of it. So yeah, yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, I don't know what the the, the, the three-person version of opposites attract me, but I kind of think like this was it. Um, you know, three guys that I imagine have a. I don't say a different outlook on the industry. I mean, they're all in ECW, so their outlooks are all probably fairly similar. They probably have a different kind of philosophy and, and you know, an approach to pro wrestling. And I think they they came together here and put together a really nice match. You know, they had the they all had their guys on the outside, and they got involved where necessary. Um, but I say this was a really long match. It was compelling, I'd say, at times. Um, the action was very, very good. Um, pretty well booked. Uh, you know, as I say, all, all three guys complement each other, and the the one thing you can do it, it does help when you've got that extra body in the sense that you can do that crazy shit, and the match doesn't calm down because you can put someone away for a few minutes and then work with the other guy. Um, really, really good match. As I say, I, I singled it out for a reason, just because I thought it was one of ECW's better TV offerings of the year. I'd argue. Um, and just a reminder that, you know, occasionally they need to do this, but just a reminder that ECW can put on really, really good matches um, with three of their biggest names. And, you know, as I say, it's... I don't know necessarily you put two of these three in a singles match together, you get a match anywhere near as good. Um, I, I'd argue this match was greater than the sum of its parts, which is, uh, uh, in some respects, 
quite good. But yeah, I think uh, a, a, as a long match goes, very, very well worth going out of your way to see. Uh, and a nice little kind of appetizer for the pay per view, I guess, if it's three weeks early. Week 2 TV from the 10th of November opens up with Just Incredible beating Chris J with That's Incredible. Jason then calls out anyone and they're saying there's only five real wrestlers back there. Nova and the Blue Meanie come out. Jason is beaten by the Meanie with the statistically floor roll-up. We see Rick Rude come out and introduce Bam Bam Bigelow. He gets massive You Fuck China chance. Storm and Candido jump Bam Bam on his way out. We get a Taz promo where he calls out RVD and Sabu and says that he loves to fight Sabu and he'll also kick the shit out of the pitbulls. We then get a Shane Douglas promo where he says about jumping Bam Bam Bigelow was to do to make him more cooperative. He will take the title. Rude then comes out to call Shane ballless and little dick chants begin. They face up until Storm and Candido come out. Out comes Bam Bam, clears the ring and hits greetings from Asbury Park on Lance Storm. We then get a tag team match between RVD and Sabu versus Taz and Tommy Dreamer. This is pretty much a standard RVD Sabu affair. Match looks like it's about to finish when Tommy and Taz both have dueling Taz missions on. But at this point, out comes the pitfalls. Taz leaves to take them out. That leaves Sabu to hit a stiff lariat on Beulah. Fonzie smashes a chair on the broken foot of Tommy. Tommy manages to win the match with a DDT on a chair to RVD. But after the match, you see Sabu smashing a ladder into a chair on Tommy's head whilst he's in a surfboard. They continue to work on his broken foot. That is, until the screen goes back we see a fireball and out comes the Sandman. Week 3 from the 17th of November opens with a recap of the tag team match from last week. We also see the end of the Sabu and Sandman exchange where Sabu attacks Sandman with a chair until Sandman manages to get the advantage and hits a flip senton through off the ladder through a table. We get a preview of the Fatal 4-Way match that's going up at the pay-per-view when we see Devon versus Cronus versus Axel versus Tracy Smothers. This is your standard multi-man match to start. Guido comes out and gets involved as the heels beat down the faces until out comes Balls. Bubba comes out and hits uh, Bubba Cutters on most people and Big Dick hits a couple of choke slams. This brings out New Jack and his big bin of toys. Mass weapons brawl. New Jack is on the entrance playing his guitar. Bubba comes out in a hydraulic lift. New Jack smashes the head a guitar on the head of Bubba whilst he's on that lift. He goes down. At this point, he dives through the table. Through Guido is on top of. We then get Cronus in the ring. He's eliminated after a top rope Bubba cutter out of nowhere. Devon gets the pin. Balls hits the Nutcracker Sweet on Devon. Axel then pins him. Axel smashes a flag on Tracy. He's about to get the free when heel ref Jim John Jim Jones comes and starts a ref fight. Axel then hits a power bomb. Looks like he's going to get the win again, 
again, Jones breaks up the pin. At this point, he gets drop kicked by Axel. Axel then hits the reverse DDT on a chair for the win. We then get the standard pre-Big Show promo packages featuring Sandman, Shane, Bam Bam, Chris Candido, and Tommy Dreamer. Week 4's TV from the 25th of November is actually live from Queens, New York. Opening up with Bubba Ray vs Taz, during the match, the rest of the Dudleys are out there attacking Taz on the outside of the ring. The ref calls from extra officials to come out, which brings Balls and Axel out in ref t-shirts, wielding chairs to clear the outside. Taz wins the match following a Bubba a Taz cutter, should I say, and then putting in the Taz mission. We get Shane Douglas in the ring doing a promo, sucking up to the New York fans saying that they are better than Philly, but then pissing on them when he says that Pittsburgh is still better. We then get a match between Bam Bam Bigelow and Sabu. Sabu has the advantage after putting Bam Bam through a table when the Sandman is seen in the balcony. Bam Bam is about to go for greetings at Asbury Park when RVD comes out and the match gets thrown out. Post-match, there's a double team with RVD and Sabu until Tommy comes out to even the odds. Shane Douglas then gets involved and takes out Bam Bam and they go to the back. At this point, Tommy gets beat down by Sabu and RVD. The trap is put in a chair and Fonzie holds a ladder over it as they both splash from the top rope. Sandman finally comes to make the save. We end the show with RVD and Sabu shown pissing on an ECW flag which they then burn and we get a final video recap of everything that's been going on going into November to remember. And out of the TVs, on to the pay-for-you peak. He's off the results. Uh, Chris Candido and Lance Storm eventually defeated Tommy Rogers and Jerry Lynn in an impromptu tag team match after originally starting out as a singles match between Chris, Tan- Chris Candido and Tommy Rogers. Uh, Mikey Whipwreck defeated Just Incredible with Jason. Taz defeated Pitbull number two with his entourage of Pitbull one, Brackus, and of course Lance Wright. The FBI retained the ECW tag team titles against the Dudley Boys, um, Axel and Balls, and the Gangstonators to retain the title. Rob Van Dam defeated Tommy Dreamer in a flag match. Sabu uh, defeated the Sandman in a tables and ladders match. And Shane Douglas won the ECW World Heavyweight title from Bam Bam Bigelow. Chris, what do you think of the show? Um, much better than the last pay-per-view. Um, all in all, you know, it's a, it's a good show and it's a good, there's good matches, but it misses the, the great wrestling match. Pete? Yeah, I think it was better than the last pay-per-view. Not as good as Barely Legal, but there's plenty in there to, to enjoy. There's also going to be a bit, bits in there that we're going to obviously critique, but overall, a fairly, fairly solid show. I think, uh, I'd say the Sambu, Sabu Sandman match is just crazy. Um, obviously, the title change and a very surprising um, defence from the FBI. But no, all in all, not bad. Yeah, I, I thought for the first <clears throat> first hour and 45 minutes, this card was almost shockingly mediocre. Um, just nothing on it of any real note. Like, you know, decent action, very, very forgettable. I, I think your enjoyment of this show very much depends on how good you felt the last hour was. Um, 
and I seem to rate the last hour a lot more highly than a lot of people did. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens when we get there. We're in the Golden Dome in Monaco, uh, Monaco or Monaco, however you want to call that, uh, Pennsylvania. We are, uh, as I later worked out, we are three miles away from where Shane Douglas was born and presumably where he grew up. Um, so we're very much in Douglas country. We're near Pittsburgh. We're about... 300 kilometers from uh, from Pennsylvania, so we're a long way away in Pennsylvania. Uh, Joey Styles, uh, from Philadelphia, sorry, we're a long way away in Pennsylvania. Uh, for what Joey Styles says is the largest crowd in ECW history. We open up with Tommy Rogers versus Chris Candido. Candido loses the grapple. He then moans over a hair pull. You get a series of takedowns and headsets on the map. After about three attempts, we get a face off and a slap by Rogers. Rogers whiffs on a baseball slide. They go to the floor. There's loads of room between the ring and the front row. Should give the wrestlers something to work with. Rogers crotches Candido on the ring post. Joey says that may change Candido's sunny disposition. We get on the apron. Candido tries to suplex Rogers into the ring. Rogers counters it with a suplex to the outside. Joey says we don't have any mats here in ECW. They don't, but you have a kind of a plastic sheet covering the floor, which looks a bit weird. Candido stands up Rogers in an electric chair. Rogers spins around and hits a hurricane runner. Candido hits a power stand to buy himself some time and then a suplex. Candido hits some chops. The crowd were along with it, so he breaks out the strut. Rogers hits a nice superplex from the top. Takes him a long time to get the cover in and Candido kicks out. Candido hits a hurricane runner from the top. Rogers barely kicks out and gets a slightly irated gash from the crowd. Candido comes off of the top. Rogers catches him in a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. Lance Storm runs out and beats up Rogers for what I assume would be a DQ. Him and Candido attack Rogers and out comes Jerry Lynn. Lynn evens up the numbers, hits a crossbody to taking Storm out on the floor. The match seems to continue. Candido takes a pair out on the floor. Rogers comes off of the top and takes out all three of them. Then the referee gets on the mic and says, let's make this a tag match. Lynn hits a spin kick on Rogers, then hits a double team powerbomb, but Rogers breaks it up. Candido chunks uh, come down while he was being pinned. Storm comes off of the top and drop kicks Candido by accident. Candido seems to hit a camera woman on the floor. Lynn comes off of the top and almost pins Storm. Candido looks for a super ball off of the top, which he hits. Rogers just about breaks up the pin. Rogers hits the Tomakazi, a spike spinning net breaker type thing, and that leads to two. Canada hits a Northern Knights suplex onto Rogers for the win. Chris, what do you think of this? Um, it was reasonable. Um, it was it sort of perked up more when it became a tag match. Um, obviously, hearing that Rogers had picked up an injury during the match sort of makes sense of why um, it wasn't that great. Um, but you know, it was a good start to the show. Um, but I would have probably preferred to see Candido in there with someone that can actually wrestle and you got the better match out of him. Hey. Yeah, I think Tommy Rogers reminds me of when sort of Bobby Eaton was a, a singles wrestler early 90s, that kind of go-to veteran who should have a decent match with the uh, the up-and-coming or, or the star, but it didn't really get going until probably the tag team match. I would have preferred to have seen maybe that as a, as a match in itself. I mean, there'd be no reason probably for Tommy Rogers and Jerry Lynn. Were they a tag team before or at any point? I'm not quite sure. Just, did just Jerry Lynn just come out just to save him from a, a two-on-one? I'm not quite sure. Do we know? 
Um, maybe, maybe Lynn thought, oh, I'm booked on the show, I better go on it. <laughs> I better run out and do something. So that was actually much, much improvement. I think Chris may have had an actual answer to that. So Chris, what were you going to say? So they say on commentary that they've been teaming together. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, they've never been televised as yeah. teaming together. Yeah, so obviously it made sense for him to do that without us even knowing. But the tag team match was fine. You know, and obviously... Candida and Storm are, you know, the new triple threat or part of it, or Lance Storm's trying to get himself in there. So, no, I mean, it's quite long, I suppose, and sort of convoluted and sort of segued into a tag team match. But overall, not a bad start. Yeah, it, I, I said this a lot this year. It, this is the new normal for ECW. It is just good wrestlers. The, the problem you've got is that uh, this is not the best wrestling in North America. Um, and that's not an insult, but it's one of the things that a couple of years ago used to make ECW must watch. Um, now this is the guys that the big two don't want. And it's, you know, and, and don't get it wrong, like all of these four guys could improve WWS undercard, certainly. Um, but it is just okay wrestling with guys we don't know a lot about. And Candido's not exempt from that either, and he's been around a while in ECW. The other three are also completely cold, or very, very cold. Um, and it's like, the action's fine, but the crowd don't really care, um, which is a bit of an issue. Um, you know, the, the crowd don't really seem to get anyone to cheer or boo really much for for the first few matches. The match is fine. Um, it's just, as I said before, I said it about WCW a lot, good wrestling doesn't really cut it anymore. If you want to be memorable, and you want to be good... You need to be better than good. And I don't know if this is any more than that. I agree with the sentiment. It probably should have started as a tag match. It probably could have been a bit more... It may have flown a bit flown a bit better as a match had it have been a tag match from the start rather than this slightly convoluted thing where they just kind of make it one during the middle. It was fine. Uh, you're definitely going to see worse matches this year for certain. It was probably better than I'm thinking. But it's just more average isn't... You know, two stars isn't... 40% of the way to a five star match if that makes sense um, and this was a two star match and, and it, it, it certainly was that I think moving on next up it's just incredible with Jason versus Mikey Whitwreck. Mikey sends Credible into the guard rail then uses the ring post to land Hurricane Rana Credible gains control back in the ring he comes off of the top with a missile drop kick Credible distracts the ref Jason takes the opportunity to close on Mikey on the floor Credible hits Sunset Flip Powerbomb off of the top then gets a bit mouthy with the ref. Fans are not massively into this. Credible blocks a sleeper, puts in one of his own but Mikey hits a drawbreaker and a super kick for a two. Credible goes for a leapfrog but Mikey catches him into a powerbomb. Mikey hits a Hurricane Rana for a two. Jason gets on the apron and Mikey suplexes him in the ring. Mikey low blows him. Credible hits the DDT for a two. Mikey throws uh, Jason to Credible on the turnbuckle and hits the top rope sit-out stunner and pins Justin Credible. Pete? I wonder how the great Sasuke is thinking right now, seeing as it's been you know, massively highlighted that Credible got that big win against him and then loses to Mikey Whitbreck, who, let's be honest, is only 24, I believe, or 25, I think Jerry Styles mentions, but already seems a little bit past his... His early glory with sort of Cactus Jack back in the sort of it ninety three ninety four with Cactus Jack. So ne- ne- never mind, his um, world title running ninety five. Well, there we go. Exactly. So it just seems like he's fallen from grace there, but somehow defeats supposedly the new sort of up and coming star or the the ex WWF star. Who, of course, they're going to going to push that way. But yeah, I didn't quite know why Mikey defeated Justin. It was a very standard kind of match. 
Um, the finisher, I think, always looks amazing off the, the, the stunner like that. Looks looks awesome for Mikey. And I think he can still go. He can still do it. But he clearly hasn't got much backing or so we thought. And then he beats sort of the undefeated Credible. So, yeah, didn't, didn't take a lot from it, really. Chris? Yeah, um, I have to pretty much agree with Pete on that one. Um, sort of doesn't really make sense on why you'd build Justin as they were just to have... Mikey beat him. Um, yes, the top rope with a snapper does look awesome. You know, the match was okay, but in the bigger picture, if you're trying to make credible the smarmy heel that you really want to hate, yes, you know, Jason is a big part of that, that act, but you sort of need him to keep winning. So when he does then finally lose to the face of, you know, be it, I don't know, Tommy, or if you're trying to build a new face, you have him beat Justin. It, you know, you could have built something in sort of a bit of forward planning and forward thinking. Um, obviously, I do know, as we all know with ECW, there's never a guarantee of how long people are going to be about. So maybe that sort of long-term thinking about it maybe hasn't crossed... Paulie's mind, but it just seems a bit of a waste, really, of what could have been a good build of Justin as like the undefeated arsehole, for then someone to get a bigger shine off beating him rather than Mikey in a match that will be forgotten about by next month. A bit of a wild card theory I've got on this one, because you, you're both right, the... Uh... In principle, Mikey, who's... I don't want to say he's been cold in the last 18 months. I think largely he's been injured. Uh, my working theory on why they had Mikey beat Justin Credible was that I think they're uh, a bit concerned about drawing some, some perhaps un, uh, unwise parallels between Credible, Bill Goldberg and Kane. Uh, as in, Bill Goldberg, a guy that's, you know, WCW are clearly pushing, is beating everyone. And Kane, not he's wrestling many matches, but he's beating everyone, he's being pushed... I just don't know that you want to bill your own undefeated guy as, oh, it's just incredible. Um, because, yeah, that's not going to come off favourably. That's the that's the best thing I can come up with here. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Uh, Credible's clearly being built up as a guy that I think they want to be able to shunt into the mix of upper card ECW talent. Mikey Whitrex, a guy who's going nowhere for a while. Um, you know... The Whitbreck story kind of works once. I don't know what you do with it after that, and I'm still not sure. I guess it. I guess occasionally it helps to throw in a surprise. But yes, I just wonder whether they thought, let's just beat him once, get it out of the way, and then we can kind of carry on, and then we don't have to mention it again. I, you know, to me, I think that's probably the most likely outcome here, beyond anything else, is that, you know, one, it's, uh, if you want to do something with Mikey, it helps to beat him, rather than if you lose here, he's just another jobber. Um, Incredible is, you know, he's a heel. He's got Jason as his manager. He can laugh that off pretty quickly and move on to the next show. He could beat him at the next show if they wanted to do that. Um, match was okay. It wasn't, again, I talk about one and a half, two stars, not being 40% of the five stars, and that's very much this. We cut backstage. Al Snow is backstage showing up a mannequin, as you do. Blue Meanie's getting changed, as you do. The head screwed the head, he says, and Snow just says a lot of random shit, and generally goes a bit insane. Joe Styles then trips over himself by saying Snow got a bit of head in the locker room. Chris, this was a bit weird. Yeah, um, 
definitely a change from last time we saw Al Snow in his Leafy Cassidy guards. Um, I would imagine there's this is something that will play out on TV in the coming weeks and months. Um, but, you know, early signs of someone having a breakdown? It's, it's more than all character that he's ever shown before. Uh, I suppose people... people because, well, you can barely hear most of it because you could hear the crowd in the background with the audio and then he starts off sort of quite slowly and then he obviously goes a bit mental but you couldn't quite pick most of it out which I guess may have been by design I suppose to make him look even more sort of off his rocker but let's see where it goes I suppose. I mean it's, it's different. We'll say that. We'll say that indeed. Tales vs Pitbull 2 is up next with Pitbull 1, Lance Wright and his entourage. His entourage being one bloke uh, one really big bloke, Bracus, actually. It's the uh, WWF guy that's not actually debuted yet. Uh, looks like a fucking tank, it should be said. Paul Heyman is on commentary for this. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll give my theory in a sec. Pitbull 2 jumps Charles from the bell, goes for a powerbomb, then hits it, then a spin kick, and then comes off at the top for a two. Taz lights out of another powerbomb attempt, hits a belly to belly, then a T bone suplex, then a Taz mission, and that will do that. Taz goes after Wright's entourage. Is absolutely jacked. Tasta picks a fight with a security guard. He takes out a security and Hamer on country goes, Oh, great, another lawsuit. And he shouts the production truck to roll literally anything else. We cut to a video package. Rearing Bam Bam Bigelow Ping Spike Ducky from September. Um, Pete, I, 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 I will love with you. I don't really understand what the hell they've been doing with the Pitbulls or Lance Wright in the last few months. And this has made that situation no clearer. Well, no, I, I, they built it up. Obviously, we saw them come out during a match and Taz went after them in, in, in the TVs before the pay-per-view, so it set it up. You know, the Pitbulls are, are, were a formidable team, and even Pitbull to himself said, you know, big guy, you know, and he's able to, you know, hold his own, but he, this is a squash. Nothing nothing more, nothing less. It probably was there to set up maybe this uh, Bracus sort of um, make Taz look like he can take on... Yeah, this big tank of a man, not scared, and then decides to go and just beat up a security guard. And I quite liked Heyman on commentary with Styles. That was actually quite a, a good dynamic. It was a bit different because obviously, you know, Jerry's that one-man booth, isn't he? Always has been. It actually was quite nice, albeit only for a couple of minutes, to have you know Paulie on the on the mic. Um, not quite sure what your theory is. I'll comment that in a minute, Bob. But yeah, just a squash and. I guess, I know the Pitbulls have had a few problems backstage. This is probably just their, um, their payoff for those issues, I'd imagine. Chris? Well, yeah, so, obviously, to sort of fill in from what's been going on, obviously, the Pitbulls came back after, you know, their their troubles with the law. Um, just say no. Just say yeah, no. Just say no, kids. <laughs> and, obviously, they then went with the whole thing of that right playing up his ex-fed days, still having a connection with them. And, you know, they'd been fed with WF lawyers and things like that, and that's why the Pitbulls are with Lance is because they're his bodyguards. You've built up the last sort of month and a half to two months of every time that the Pitbulls come out, Taz loses his shit and goes after them. And, you know, it's been formidable back and forth. For this to then be a squash where he pretty much makes Pitbull 2 look like a Saturday morning jobber, 
but, you know, that would have been fine if then, you know, Pitbull wanted to come in and do the same to him, maybe, you know, and sort of completely decimate them both at the same time, and then you go, yay, look at Taz, he's amazing. But for what it looks like is he's going to be going after this Barakas lad, who I know he's European, isn't he, and sort of has been on contract for a while in the Fed, but has yet to be seen in the US. Yes, he's a big lump, but you've just killed one of your biggest tag teams in seconds for a big lump, which you're probably not going to use, because if he does come in, he's going to be like a one-shot and done, because he's not going to fit the rest of ECW. It seems to be like throwing the bathwater out with the baby just to get this guy over. Well, isn't, isn't the whole thing that uh, the, it's not to get him over, it's to set up a match against Taz so Taz can squash the guy that's much bigger. And one thing we didn't mention in the news, one guy that they approached for this show was Dan Seven, of all people. Uh, you know, MMA fighter, you know, he's been, he hasn't actually appeared on, on WWF or WCW. They've been talking, both sides have talked to him a lot recently. Um, and it's the latest thing of trying to get Taz over as this, you know, Sorry, Taz, but just stop saying my accomplishments are a shoot. That is really annoying me. Um, Bob, Bob do you really think that Dan Seven would allow Taz to to go over him in a, in a match at all? I'd well, highly well, doubt well, that. Well, would this, you? well, this is this is the point. That's the kind of one thing they're saying is they're trying to work out a way that Seven would even accept it. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, they they couldn't get Paul Valens to come in without having him lose the match by a, I think it's Perry Saturn coming off the rope with a drop kick. Um, but yes, that is the general idea, is that they'll do Taz against Brackus. And quite whether Taz can go over him if he's on loan from the WWF, I don't know. Um, but I wonder whether they'll, they'll do Taz versus Brackus. Taz will throw him around a lot and then it'll be a DQ type finish. Um, ECW get their clips of Taz throwing around this giant. Uh, Brackus gets a bit of seasoning, a bit of edge, but doesn't actually lose. And in, in a way, everyone wins, I suppose. Um, Chris, any more thoughts? Uh, obviously, I know it comes up later, but obviously um, they're building now towards uh, Taz and Bam Bam. So, you know... Well, it, well I, I don't, uh, we'll come to that in a bit. I just don't know whether that wasn't a, a, a quick one-two on the... You know, just as... If Taz comes out and says, Bam Bam, I'm coming for you and your title, maybe that was a way of trying to get people to think that it was going to be Bam Bam winning against Douglas. I don't know that's not the case. Well, you know, there is obviously... There could be that he's going with Bam Bam. I'd rather see him throw Bam Bam around than a roid monkey. Very possibly. Um, match was nothing of note. Um, a, a typical Taz match. Um, as for Paul Heyman on commentary, I think Dave Meltzer said it might have just been because they wanted to trick people into thinking it was a significant or a long match and it was end up being. Honestly thought Hayden was there one just to say, oh great, another lawsuit, which is probably the most interesting <laughs> thing of the match. Um, and also I think the idea that Hayden would have the authority then to shove them away from the footage and it was, again, they're trying to get Taz over. Whether it's working or not, I don't know. Um, to, to me, like the, uh, to me they, they were on more than one money with Taz in 95 than they have been since. Uh, but there we go. We come back live to Prime from Tommy Rich, and we move on next to the Dudley Boys, Devon and Bubba Ray with Joe Gertner and Big Dick Dudley versus the FBI, Little Guido and Tracy Spother with Tommy Rich versus the Gangster Natives, John Crows and New Jack versus Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten. 
Fans chat little dick at big dick during a long gun and a promo as always this takes forever. Balls and Axel come out and clean house with a chair. No sign of Crown and New Jack so far. Balls hits a nice spine buster. They set their sights on Rich, but they miss. Big Dick clotheslines Ron. He's he's not actually in the match, Big Dick, but he does end up involved a lot. And Balls eats a four-away slam. We get a rocket launcher from the FBI for a two. Bubba hits a superplex on Balls, and Devon follows that with a big diving headbutt. The music starts, and here comes the gangsterators with a bin full of weapons. The ring is just full of bodies at this point. Axel has done quite the big blade job. The ring clears, the music still plays, and Cronus hits a spin kick. Big Dick goes for a big moonsault but misses by a mile. He gets whiffed with the guitar. Cronus comes off of the top with a 450 splash on Big Dick. As the ref points out, he's not involved in the match. There's a big pile of bodies on the outside. Bo Ray dies onto all of them and Joey Styles says, Did you see that fat bastard fly? Cronus sets on the top. Guido throws him off and he jumps straight into a Bubba Cutter and the music mercifully stops as they get eliminated. Bubba then just drops Guido face first on the turnbuckle, which didn't look fun. Gurner ends up tracking Powder into Bubba's face. Bubba, blinded, ends up 3D'ing Devon, which eliminates the Dudleys. We're down to the FBI against Balls and Axel. Balls levels leathers smothers with a chair. Axel hits a slot drop, there's a ref bump, out comes the dodgy ref who counts the two pin attempts and then stops, or sort of counts the two on the pin attempt and then stops. He then kicks balls in the nuts, counts the quick pin, and the FBI win the tag titles. Chris? Yeah, that was, I liked it. It was your typical weapons, weapons match and the multi-man sort of walking brawl for the show. Um, obviously, just had New Jack. Um, everyone sort of got their shit in. Um, Everything looked hard-hitting. There's the right level of violence, but also the right level of comedy as well. Like the powder getting thrown in the eyes, so Bubba ended up 3Ding, Devon, um, them trying to take uh, Cronus attacking Big Dick instead and sort of realising, oh, wrong person in the match. And, you know, the underdogs somehow managing to steal the win and keep the belts... This is just, you know, fermenting my joy of the FBI even more. Pete? Yeah, I think all four teams did their thing out there. I mean, until the gangsters came out, it was going to be a fairly standard uh, sort of Dudley's match with everybody getting involved. And, of course, New Jack and Cronus come out, and then just the, the blading and the, the weapon shots are just relentless. I mean... Cronus comes in immediately, takes a shot to the head, lays on the floor and blades almost within seconds of being out there. It's just ridiculous straight away. And everyone decides just to go for it. And that's what you expect from this match. It was a by the numbers, what you would expect from this match with some very surprise finishes, i.e. Bubba Ray obviously uh, eliminating Devon in effect and obviously the FBI getting the, uh, getting the win, which I think was actually the right result because you probably weren't expecting that on the night. So it's actually quite refreshing in that sense. And... Um, the best match of the night so far, I would say. Uh, yeah, probably. It was, a, you know, it, it's exactly the kind of match you'd imagine. Um, I don't think the music helps. Uh, I don't think the music helps. It kind of no, takes awful. away. Right. It, it takes. It, 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 it inhibits the match to have. Uh, it inhibits the match's ability to have any real drama. We want to say that. 
I thought it was fine. It was exactly what I exactly what you'd expect from these four teams. The action was good. It was never boring. Um, you know, in amongst a mix of uh, a big list of names, you got some quite good acts that work well together. Bubba's quite good. John Cronus is excellent. Um, the FBI are growing on me. A sentence I never thought I'd say. Um, you know, whether the right team won, whether they got eliminated in the right order, I don't know in either case. Um, but quite unsure. But I think Chris anymore. See, with that, you sort of going on about the the music. I think the initial part when it starts and they come in, give them like thirty seconds with the music still going when they're in the ring, and then, and, and then so, uh, yeah, I think stop it once they lose the offense. You know what I mean? Stop it once yeah. they're being beaten, rather than right up until the point they get eliminated. Once yeah, the first guitar shot takes place, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> But yeah, no, um, oh, you know, we as as we always expect with ECW, you have to have your mass me, mass mental weapons match, and I quite like to now see that we are getting it as the tag team match, and it seems to be, you know, yes, you're always going to get Sabu and Sandman doing their bits with tables and stuff, but the silly violence, the, you know, just using all sorts of stuff and weapons, and basically if you can grab it, swing it, and hit someone with it, just being the one match in in this tag team sort of realm at the moment works so well. Um, because you look at the FBI, even, you know, the fact that we are all now starting to enjoy them a lot more, they are still great to be seen getting hit with stuff. You still like to see, you know, Guido selling when he gets hit with, you know, a stop sign or a cane. And, you know, it just sort of brings me some joy and entertainment when it when that happens. I think Dave Meltzer said it best when he said a lot of people were doing some quite bad blade jobs and then Tommy Rich got involved and just did a proper one. <laughs> professional blade. Tommy Rich coming in going, you last don't know what you're doing. Proper blade job coming here, boys. You know, proper got involved. I quite like that. <laughs> it's on his TV, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was on his forehead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it does worry me a bit, but the FBI are starting to grow on me. As in, well, it's it's the it's the old thing that it, it, if you're going to be really shit, do it with conviction, and they've got the conviction part down now, and and, and they're now the the fact they're now so good with the conviction part, they're now less shit. Um, it's it's really weird, but even, I don't know, I don't now find Tommy Rich abominably bad, which is a really weird situation to think where I would have been in say in January or February. Yeah, um, and uh, the thing is, obviously, it also helps with they've had they haven't had any this month. Last month they had a couple of really funny sort of skits and promos, so they're sort of also playing that that comedy side out of the ring as well as in the ring. So sort of giving them that little bit extra depth. Yes, I uh, very much agree. We get a promo from Tommy Dreamer who says he's not even fifty percent. He's injured, and Rob Van Dam is a far better athlete than he is. So the match never takes place. Well, of course it does, but you know. Following that logic, 
you know, Van Dyne's a far better athlete and he's going to win. Okay, let's just move on, but apparently not. Next up, it's Rob Van Dyne, Bill Alfonso versus Tony Drea with Buda McGillicutty in a flag match. Not, not a, you know, I was going to say, not your traditional flag match like the one last month on the WF pay-per-view, but that wasn't a flag match either. Uh, not a flag match in the traditional sense of actually having flags on display during the match, but more just a uh, turf match, as in your know, flags have been involved a lot in storylines recently on the final TV of the month, etc., etc., and with Alfonso and Van Damme waving the WWF flag and all these dreamers that, that missed their ECW. So more a... Uh, kind of, you know, respect the flag type situation. The winner would get the right to, to wave their brand's flag at the end. Anyway. We got Monkey Flip in the corner. Van Damme hits a standing leg drop, but Dreamer hits a Russian leg sweep as Van Damme gets caught posing. We're in Dreamer territory now as he sends Van Damme to the guardrail. Then again, as he crops him on it, this is vintage Dreamer. Hits Van Damme with a chair, but Van Damme soon returns the favour. Van Damme has a proper cart around his eye as fans chant, sit the fuck down at people in the floor section who have stood up. Fans then chant, Van Damme swallows as Van Damme kicks the chair into Dreamer's face in the corner. He then cups his ear at the fans. Van Damme gets on, goes to the top, gets crotched, and Dreamer hits a pretty ugly-looking neckbreaker. Stars points out that Dreamer's wrestling with a cast on his foot. He's really limping on it. Dreamer puts Van Damme in a tree of woe and then hits a low drop kick into Van Damme's face. Van Damme takes a chair to the ribs. He uh, sweeps Dreamer's legs and sends him into a chair on the mat. Van Damme does the splits on the top turnbuckle. Dreamer hits a sweet spike. DDT, but Alfonso pulls the ref out of the ring. Fonzie then hits him with a road sign. Van Damme hits Dreamer with a chair, and out comes the new ref. Dreamer goes for a pin, but it's dodgy referee Jeff Jones who blocks the count and then checks Jim Molino. Van Damme misses the Van Damme Dreamer goes to return the favour, but lightly misses, judging by the crowd's reaction. Jones, Dex, Finnegan, there's now three refs in the ring. Bueller gets involved and kicks him square in the nuts. The other two refs double, double DDT him and then both do Tommy Dreamer's EC fucking W pose to the hard camera. While they're doing that, Fonzie gets in the ring and low blows them and then Bueller low blows Fonzie. Dreamer DDT's Van Damme. Van Damme, I, I, it was DDT, sorry, it's a pile driver. He, he pile drove him. Van Damme got about Two feet off the air after he hit that move. I don't know how. I don't know how strong Van Damme's neck is, but that was ridiculous. <laughs> just, he just hit. He, he, he went higher up in the air, then he dropped. That was ridiculous. Bueller counts the pins at this point, but Van Damme keeps kicking out. Drew hits the DDT. He grabs the ECW flag and outcome first and the fun. Off the distraction, Steve Richards comes out of the opposite side and hits a super kick. Back in the ring, Van Damme hits a massive frog splash onto a bin on Dreamer's chest as Lafon and Furnace and Richards are holding him down. They count the pin and they call that over. After the match, they lay Dreamer across the table, put the WWF flag on top of him. Sabu comes out to finish the job off. Bira tries to stop him, but Sabu comes off the top and basically punches him. So there we go. Uh, Pete, what do you think of this? Cool, blood where to start. I mean, Tommy shouldn't even be out there. He already mentioned that tonight on the show already um, but what he did do with Van Damme was as you say in the review classic Tommy Dreamer spots Van Damme did a, a really nasty cut over the eye which I think the referee at one point was like you know I need to get that checked out thinking it was like boxing or something a bit, bit of a strange uh, scenario the referee bits were just there were so many low blows so many chains of referee so many spots involving them and then Bueller um, and then Furnace from the Fon obviously get involved with um, Stevie 
why was Stevie out there at the end? What's what's all that about? I think Tommy's just like the one-man ECW sort of, you know, I'm the only guy in the company left who's defending ECW's honour with the flag. And unfortunately, he got, got defeated and destroyed. And, and probably quite rightly, seeing as how unfit he is and obviously clearly struggling with that ankle. But um, very long, for a guy who's that injured, to go, what, over sort of quarter of an hour, I thought was, was crazy. They could, have, they could have rescued him and saved him so much more punishment than they did. Um, I guess good to see Rob Van Dam beat the veteran in that sense, but I'm not quite sure what the end kind of means. That will obviously play into into the future, but yeah, it was just a bit of a mess, if I'm honest. Chris? Um, I enjoyed it. I, uh, I always love watching RVD, um, so seeing him do some great sort of bits and pieces in this was fantastic. As you said, how the hell he bounces that high on a, after taking a pile driver, I have no idea. Um, I did. I, I enjoyed the distraction bits with obviously Bueller and Fonzie. Um, the refs thing. I'm hoping at some point soon they're going to have some sort of a blow off with this because it's it's getting a little bit tedious that you know you've got the one dick ref that's you know coming along and being a dick. And going against all the other refs, you know, we don't need heel refs. Just have the refs being refs. Um, you know, it, as I said earlier with the news, it's awesome to have Stevie back, and we can only hope that we get, you know, something great for having him there. Um, if Furnace and the Fond are back as well, that's a great boost for the tag division. Um, as for where we go from here. Yeah, you've you've ended this feud at the moment with you know the WWF in quotes going out victorious. Um, you know, do do we see? So I don't know where they are at the minute with this working relationship because obviously I forgot to mention in the news that uh, ECW was meant to be getting some promotion on Raw pre the pay per view, but that sort of got can down and ended up just being I believe they ran an ad for them at the end of one of the shows um, so I, you know, I sometimes think when their relationship seems even you get moments like this where Furnace and Lafond and Baracus are there so is there still a working relationship uh, is there going to be some sort of cross promotion you know, are we going to see something random like you know RVD or Sabu turn up in the Royal Rumble as a favour to ECW to go? Oh look, you know you're watching that. There's their guy from that other promotion. Go watch him on there. You know, it, there, there's more questions coming out of this than answered. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder with the the working relationship thing. You know, go back seven, eight, nine months. I, I think. WWF kind of needed ECW as much as ECW needed the WWF, as in they really didn't have all that they, you know, they they just moved Raw two hours. They really had much time to fill with. Um, I think nowadays, you know, I break new new ground by saying WWF got quite a lot going on right now, and apparently part of the reason that uh, ECW didn't have any build on Raw was apparently they were offered it, but Paul Heyman kind of went well. They're kind of dealing with the fallout from the Brett thing, so it's probably going to get lost in the shuffle. I couldn't really work that logic out. 
I mean, the, the difference between not getting any, you know, airtime and getting some airtime even on a busy show, I'd still rather be airtime on the busy show. I mean, I know, I know to an extent, Hayes a bit worried about making himself look second rate. I'm worried about that. Um, this was an interesting match. Like, Pete's right, Dreamer should not be out there. Um, Dreamer's not a great worker as it is, but him barely being able to walk really isn't all that exciting to watch. Um, Van Damme looked good. Dreamer's not the best opponent for him, though, I don't think. Um, and then, yeah, this match really got good when the star of the show, Beulah McGillicutty, got involved. Um, you know, all that stuff. And the stuff with the rest, just, you know... The Alfonso thing, they had a backstory for that, and they eased Alfonso in, right? Because the whole point of Alfonso was he was there from the Philadelphia, or sorry, the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission kind of ordered him to be there to sort things out. Yeah. And Alfonso was a heel as much as a, an enforcer, as an authority figure as he was as a ref. This guy's just a bent ref. There's no logic to it. Um, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, why not just fire him? is the first question. I know there's the point that with Alfonso, but the idea with Alfonso at least was that he was an external hire, or he was a guy that was being forced upon ECW. Um, this just doesn't make that much sense to me, I don't think. The match was fine. Um, you know, again, I've said that a lot tonight so far. Um, but yeah, like, you know, this wasn't... I don't think this was the great match they wanted it to be, but, you know, the problem with Tommy Dreamer, for all Tommy Dreamer's strengths, and for all the reasons why people like him so much, is that he will do shit like this. Um, he will he will wrestle in a apparently an iron cast on his foot. Um, although someone in one who's said that that will guarantee he wouldn't get injured, which is is not the logic you want to hear. Um, it was okay. Um, the the, the post match stuff afterwards. As I say, what exactly is going on? Or might be going on with the form first and Richards? We don't know. Um, Richards isn't contracted to WCW, but I think that just means he's able to appear on the show. I don't necessarily know that means it. Um, He's done for that side. Um, and the Fallen Furnace also appeared on Survivor Series. Um, you know, quite whether they're going to do anything with them right now, and all that stuff really up in the air at the moment, um, in terms of what they're going to do with the, the, the quote-unquote Canadians. Um, yeah, interesting match. No better, no worse. Anyway, we basically move straight on, because Sabu's already out there. Out comes Sandman. He does his really long entrance. So we move on next to Sabu versus the Sandman in the eight tables, and ladders match. Sabu gets tired waiting for the Sandman digging about on the floor, so he just starts attacking him. There are tables bridging the ring and the guardrail on all four sides. The crowd are very quiet as Sandman grabs the ladder, jumps half over the top rope, and launches it into Sabu's face. Sabu is the concrete with the third after a scoop slam, and Sandman suplexes the table onto Sabu. Sandman goes to the top there's a leg drop through the table across the back a, a gap sorry I think he missed Sabu who just seems to be venturing somewhere still they both crash and burn and that's really really good Sabu throws Sandman through a table propped up against the guardrail Sabu puts Sandman on a table hits a triple drop leg drop through another one a fan helps Alfonso reposition one of the tables which I thought was quite nice Sabu hits a jump back leg kick to Sandman as they sound like Eric Bischoff Hello. Sabu puts Sandman on the table on the R-way, grabs the ladder, gets on the turnbuckle, and tries to kind of pole vault across the gap. And he missed. Sabu hits a moonsault onto Sandman, who's under a ladder for a two. Sandman gets suplexed onto a ladder in the ring. He largely misses, but his arm may have cracked off of it anyway. The ladder is propped up against the ropes. Sabu goes to the top. Sandman just kind of staggers and just falls onto the ladder. Completely fucks up Sabu by knocking him off the ladder. So Sabu just grabs the ladder and just whacks Sandman over the head with it, which I think was the receipt. Sabu then starts stabbing Sandman with a fork. 
Sandman goes to the top, hits the rolling centre onto the ladder, and that's on top of Sabu. Sabu comes off to the top, Sandman catches him in an electric chair position and just drops back, because that was fucking excellent. Sabu lays Sandman, sorry, Sandman lays Sabu on the table, goes to climb a ladder. Table's kind of about to give way, so Sandman just hits a falling rolling centon and crashes through the table on the floor. My notes simply read, this has been balmy. Sabu does the fireball spot again. Sandman manages to avoid it. He gets to Alfonso. Sabu comes off to the top and kicks Sandman in the head. Sandman goes through another table. Sabu goes to the top. Hits an atomic Arabian face buster with a ladder. And that will do that. Sandman looks completely fucked. Which is to say he looked exactly as he did when the match started. Chris, walk us through that. So this was as messy as I think I've ever seen a match. But, between these two, it was exactly what I expected and exactly what I wanted. Um, both of them basically just throwing themselves off things, through things, and through each other. Um, my, my best analogy to this is, it's like a car crash. Um, when you're sort of driving past it, you just can't stop looking at it. It's like, it's like 15 car crashes in the space of 22 <laughs> minutes. Involving the same two cars. Just (laughs) continuously, just keep going. And I really do think Sabu gives zero fucks about himself. Oh, that's a given, isn't it? (laughs) We we did that a long time ago, right? (laughs) He's getting more than than usual in this feud. Any more, Chris? Uh, No, I haven't, you know... It sort of has to be watched. It, it's awful in a wrestling match standard. You know, it's never going to get a Meltzer five-star award. It, it got minus three and a half stars, um, which, which uh, you know, even but you know, I, mean, you know, I know Dan Meltzer doesn't put that much into star ratings, but, uh, yeah. Uh, Chris Abel? It has to be seen to be just so you can see what the human body really can put itself through. Mate. I really, really enjoyed it. I don't, I can't quite think why, why in that sense, because that's not really a match that normally I would get into. But these two guys just do not give a shit about their own well-being. You know, their livelihood, their their future probably as well. Yeah, you know, some of the moves that were going on, Sandman just chucked himself everywhere through anything you could imagine. And you mentioned one in the commentary there, uh, Bob, about um, Sabu getting a, a few shots back. There was a few, almost, hate to use Taz's favourite word, a few shoots in there where some things did go a little bit awry and probably actually weren't quite as planned as they thought, but they just went back and forth. But those two remained professional enough to keep the match, dare I say, going and, and fairly logical. But it was just absolutely crazy from, from... As soon as the Sandman jumped over the top rope and threw a ladder at Sabu, that was it, really, wasn't it? It was just literally uh, just hell for leather, proper... But it's what you wanted. We don't want to go and see them, you know, collar an elbow and do a do a headlock. It was never going to happen. It's exactly what it should have been. How the Sandman, uh, I don't know, staggered out of the ring afterwards, I'll never know. But uh, it's just, just crazy. But yeah, I think it's a must-watch. Absolute must-watch and weirdly enjoyable. This was a terrible match. 
you know what? That's what made it so good. Like, I, I don't know what the criticism of this match is. Like, yes, I know there was there was no continuity, and I know they blew a load of fucking spots, and I know it didn't flow, and the crowd wasn't always into it, and it didn't really make sense, it didn't really end well, and all of the above. That's what these two should do. I don't want to see a 20-minute classic from Sandman and Sabu. I want to see those two guys have just a army fucking match for 20 minutes because that's what these two characters should do that's exactly what they had at times this match made no sense like I don't know whether Sam Samo was kind of half cut coming into the match or whether it was just him playing up his character I don't really know um, but it all added to the match there was no flow there was like you know very little selling there was no transitions there weren't really any moves um, they just went fuck it like we've got three ladders apparently the main one they were going to do a lot of stuff with broke early on which doesn't help we've got three ladders a load of tables let's just throw ourselves through tables for 20 minutes and that's exactly what they did it was really good um, I may have been like six and a half stars away from Dave Meltzer's review of this match um, at least oh, this was fantastic like what do, you, what do you want from Sandman and Sabu in a wrestling match this Exactly. More of this. That Dave Moss was saying they got pulled after 20 minutes. They should have let them go longer. Yeah. Keep going. I don't know. Yeah, a bit barbaric, admittedly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, just... So it makes no sense. We're 15 minutes into the match. Shabu comes off the top, does this kind of, you know... Uh, you know, kind of jumps on Sandman's shoulders. He just drops into a perfect electric chair. Two minutes later, they lay Sandman on a Sabu on a table that's kind of propped up across the apron of the guardrail. It starts to basically sag under Sabu's weight. Sandman goes, "Shit, better go here." Just just a perfect fucking forward rolling senton through the table. It made no sense whatsoever, right? And that's why this match is really good. Um, I don't understand the hate for it I'm seeing. Um, it was really entertaining. Uh, it made no sense. It was a shit wrestling match. But you know what? That's made it really good. Um, Chris, any more on, on what we said? No, pretty much as, as we've all said, you know, it is gloriously horrid. And that's what it had to be. It, and that's what it was. And just do yourself a favour and watch it just to see the extent the damage that the human body can take and still keep going. Taz interrupts Joey. Sounds like he's after the winner of Bam Bam and Douglas. Sees the net, forget the name of the pay-per-view, but he's challenging Bigelow, who he thinks will wins this, win this sorry, for the March 1st pay-per-view. And we're on to the main event. It's Bam Bam Bigelow which, uh, versus Shane Douglas with Francine, not... Uh, with Candido on that storm for the ECW heavyweight title. Quite brilliantly, they mimic the, the, the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart walkouts from Survivor Series, the bits where they're, they're walking through the back with their entourage. The best part of it is that the walkout's about 10 feet. Like, they've got, they've got Douglas with, with Candido and Storm and Francine, and they're stood backstage, and then they walk, and they're right by the hourway straight away. <laughs> it's fantastic. Just couldn't make ECW look any more low rent if they tried. Uh, anyway, we are, as I said at the top, we are in Shane Douglas territory. We're about 15 miles north, northwest of, uh, of Pittsburgh. We're about three miles away from where Shane Douglas was born, and we are very much in Shane Douglas country. Big reaction for Douglas here in his hometown. Bam Bam wins the first test of strength and he shoves Douglas to the floor. Bam Bam's working the heel here as Douglas's punches are having little effect. 
Douglas goes for a belly to belly, but Bam Bam cuts him off. Douglas ducks a clothesline, goes for a body slam, but just collapses under the weight. Douglas comes off of the top, Bam Bam catches him into a big slam and nearly a three. Still completely Bam Bam so far. Douglas hits a low blow, still all Bam Bam. The fans chant, We love Francine, which might be the most bizarre aspect of the match so far. As in, We love Francine, as in, We like you, not as in the usual We love Francine, show us your tits that she usually gets from the fans. Bam puts Douglas through a table, uh, on a table in the ring. He goes for a moonsault. Douglas gets up and power bombs Bam Bam through the table. Gets an opening, but they both go down. Douglas sends Bam Bam to the floor, vaults over the top, but Bam Bam catches him and throws him through a table. The ref wants to call the match. Francine fights Douglas's corner as he, he fails, flails, and tries to recover on the floor. Another powerball mid ring. Douglas kicks out as the crowd begins to rally. Bam calls for the triple threat, but security holds them back. Bam just dumps Douglas onto a pile of bodies. Douglas is cut. Francine gets in the ring and hits Bam with a crutch. Not sure that helped. Bam goes for Francine and wildly swings at him, misses, and then hits Douglas with it. Bam starts working the arm. Douglas hits a belly-to-belly suplex but goes down selling. So strange seeing ECW fans rally behind Douglas. This is like ECW's shitty version of the Heart Foundation in Canada. Bam paces a half-broken table on up against a chair near the corner. He looks to put Douglas through it, but Douglas spins out of it, hits a belly-to-belly suplex, gets a quick pid, and he's a new ECW champion for a big pop from the crowd. Pete? Yeah, I think this is uh, Shane Douglas trying to get the... Uh the Ric Flair pop in sort of Charlotte, isn't it? Or the uh, Shawn Michaels spot in uh, San Antonio. But I don't know if it's, it's easy for the crowd to be quite as behind Douglas as maybe uh, Flair and, I say, Brett and Canada, etc. But this was just Bam Bam sort of dominating most of the match, giving Douglas a few hope spots, you know, getting the crowd up, up his back a little bit. Douglas just selling and, and getting that sort of support from the crowd that way. Um, again, I think the, the, the interference, we've had it all night from sort of Bueller, etc. and Francine again, added a little bit to the match. Obviously, a triple threat as well came out, a bit of a distraction, all things going on. And I think, um, I'm not quite sure that, that if, if Douglas, um, obviously I know he did a lot of work to get the event three papered and where it was there. And I guess the title change was probably inevitable in that sense, that maybe in his home, his home turf he'd get the win. But I felt a bit sorry for Bam Bam because really he... He was on top for most of the match and actually looked looked pretty good out there. And Douglas was his usual kind of, you know, I don't know. I can't I can't really get behind Shane Douglas. I think he's very good on the mic at times, but in the ring, very sort of samey. Um, Shane for Bam Bam, but I guess um, Shane Douglas is probably a better a better face and a champion moving forward. So uh, yeah, not not a bad end. Probably a good feeling for the crowd at the end. I'm not quite sure it's such a good feeling probably for. For us watching on, but uh, yeah, a bit of a, I wouldn't say a flat finish to, to, to the show, but you know, the crowd clearly were well up for the for the title win, but I don't know, it didn't seem to really do a great deal for me. Yeah, this show started at nine o'clock, the main event started about half past eleven, so I think they've been in there a while, which probably didn't help. Chris, what yeah. do you think? Well, you know how when the Fed goes to Canada, they say they're in Bizarro World? This is ECW's version of Bizarro World. Um, the fact that Shane face in peril for the most of this match, the crowd were baying for Bam Bam to lose. It it was just such good storytelling for 
for Shane, who is a smarmy, hated heel 99.9% of the time, to work, the as I said, the baby face in peril for the majority of this match. And it worked. You know, I, I have to say that, you know, I think this is probably one of Shane's best performances uh, since his return um, from his horrible time as Dean Douglas. Um, I do feel a bit sorry for Bam Bam because obviously he's had the title for a month, done nothing with it. You know, is it because, obviously, as said, send the people home happy their face in being in, in his home city? You know, do they then drop the title back to Bam Bam and give it back to him later? Maybe back in Philly? Who knows? Um, I think for the event, Shane needed to win. Whether that's best for the company coming post this event, I'm not quite sure. But, you know, as we say, a record attendance, the majority of them there to see Shane win. It's, the fans have definitely got become the winners in this one. I thought at the third show of asking at the what would have been the fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth match of asking, I think we finally watched an ECW pay per view match worthy of the name. Um, it's not to say this was a brilliant match, but I, I just thought. We've seen ECW try a lot of things this year on pay-per-view across three different shows. Um, you know, and you might argue that the, the six-man Japanese match was, was was a great wrestling match. You might argue that Terry Funk winning the title back was a, a great ECW moment, although I'd certainly argue against that. Um, I don't think you'd argue anything from the second show, to be honest. Um, but to me, this felt like the first... ECW match that was pay-per-view worthy um, you know I, I, I make the comparison to, to the Bret Hart thing and, and not that Jeff Park will be listening to this show so I can, say it, I can make it quite easily um, but this felt like ECW's own version of that like go back to the beginning of the month I'll, if I remember to put it in I'll put the promo in where Dogs is cutting a promo in Philadelphia in the ECW arena and him and Francine are just tearing it up as heels and they come in here, and Dogs is just the baby face. Um, you know, and it really helped the match in the... Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think Shane Dogs is a great wrestler by any stretch. Um, and I think matches where he has to be on offense a lot, as he does have to be on, on oftentimes as a heel, don't often click. Um, but because he was the baby face here, it meant just Babam could just pummel the fuck out of him. Um, that worked really well. It built a really nice one-sided story. No, don't get wrong. It's not the most complicated story to build in the world, but it works. Um, seeing the fans rally behind Shane Douglas is perhaps never a thing I'd ever thought I'd say. Um, all the more remarkable when they started rallying behind Francine. Again, not in the way they normally do. Um, the match was really, really nice. I thought it was laid out very well. I liked what they did with Candido and Storm. I, you know, they established that they weren't allowed at the, weren't allowed out there, which made sense. Um, and yeah, the right guy won. The crowd popped big for the finish. The story was very well laid out. It was a very, very good finish. I think it's Chris. I, I 
I don't recall a better Shane Douglas match I've seen. And there's been something that perhaps been more noteworthy, perhaps, or this was the main event of ECW's pay-per-view, but go on. As in, this, this is definitely the best match since he came back. Um, trying to think, you know, it's, it's definitely top three of all time. Well, was it as, I suppose the question is, was it as good as his match with Pitbull 2 last year? Um, that's an interesting, because that's a really good match. Um, but this is a, the, 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 that's a really good match in the sense of the heat they generate. Um, I think this might be the best match he's had from a storytelling standpoint, other than in ring standpoint, probably since the early stuff, 94. I mean, we'd have to go back and rewatch those marathon matches with Terry Funk and with, with Sabu. But any more on that, Chris? But yeah, no, as I said, you know, other than probably the Pitbull match, I, I would argue to say... In, in our in our timeline of watching him, we haven't had a better match. Anything from WCW that topped this? Um, not really, because WCW, he was always... Tag team, wasn't he, really? Tag team, or, yeah. you know, the smiley, happy baby face, but you never really got behind him. He never really was... You know, he was just generic baby face, got a bit of a hiding, maybe got the comeback, got the win got a hiding lost. He, he never really has the oomph behind him that he has here, and, you know, the sort of drive and the desire. And, and even the... I think it really helps with, with how the fans are with him on this that really sort of makes what he's doing that next level. Yeah, I mean... You know, if he wants to copy the Bret Hart thing and make himself Mr. Pittsburgh, um, I don't know how, quite how that would work in Philadelphia, but you could try it. Um, you know, be to see how that works. Pete, any final thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking, if you look back, I mean, my, my knowledge of, of the past isn't massively great in that sense, but I can remember Flair Vader had a similar storyline, didn't they, match in terms of Vader was just the guy... Starcade 93, yeah. It was 93, it's a similar kind of scenario. And I think, thinking back, actually, this was a very similar scenario in that normally Flair was somebody who was, is that here in most of, of America or North America or South America, it would have been. But in Carolina or Charlotte, he was obviously massively, massively faced. If, if Shane can tap into any of what Flair can do, it's only going to be great for, for Shane. And it did show a different side, potentially, to how he wrestles. Um, to, to what he normally, as you say, being on the offence and having to be that guy, you know, this this played differently in. So maybe this is something that he can build on, but I think he's injured though, isn't he? Again, you can see him holding the arm in the match, so I hope it doesn't hinder him having put a title on him already now, that he can have a, a, a successful title run and build on this bit of momentum he's got from the uh, from the home crowd. So it, It's one of those that it's a good idea, good thing that ECW sort of pretty much shuts up shop in December, um, they might do one show at the arena, and that's pretty much it. The last couple of years, so he should yeah, get you know, a good get, rest get of that, business. Get, get that surgery and sort it out, then, doesn't it? Straight away, I'd imagine for him. Yeah, and, and speaking of Flair and Vader, I got a feeling Vader beat the fuck out of Flair for most of that match too. That's, uh, that's right. Enough. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, yes. Um, Chris, overall thoughts on the show, and I score any out of ten. So, as I said. It is a really good show. Um, it, it misses the classic wrestling match. 
you know, the the technical thing that we've had before, i.e. the RVD Lance Storm match we had at Burley Legal, you know, it, it misses that. But we have a really, really good multi-man weapons brawl in the tag team title match. We've got, as we said, a giant fucking car crash with Sabu and Sandman, which just has to be seen to be believed. You've got RVD and Tommy, which I enjoyed as, you know, a spectacle in, you know, what these two can do, even even when Tommy is as broken down as he is. You know, the openers, all right, you know, watchable. The Just Incredible Mikey match, again, is, you know, right. So, you know, you could do yourself a favour and miss the first sort of 40 minutes to an hour, turn up at the tag team match and then watch the rest, and you've got a good, a really decent watch there. So I would give it seven, just sort of just been off the first hour. Wait. <laughs> so where's that math there, Chris? If you get past the, the first three and get to the tag team match, which I think was, was decent enough, this is a this is a good show. I mean... I think the undercard, though, was probably still watchable than lots of WWF undercards that I've watched recently. Not well, it, could be, it could be any worse. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, definitely held their own in that sense. But, you know, when we get towards sort of the bigger matches, I mean, there's no more barmier than Sabu and, and Sandman. For pure effort alone, you've got to give them a, a decent mark for that. The Douglas match with Bam Bam did tell that great story with a, with a good feel ending to it. Van Damme and Dreamer did what we expected them to do. Uh, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. It's, it's a decent watch. Yeah, I'll split the difference. 6.5. I think my, my opinion on the show has gone up slightly since we started talking about it. Um, the first hour is okay. I mean, it's not offensive. It's, it, it's as I say, it's better than most WF undercards you'd see, but it's, it's kind of there. I'd probably bundle the tag match in that as well. I don't think the tag match was all that much. Um, but yeah, uh, Dreamer and Van Damme gets good second half it's probably more about the other guys involved in it. it's about those two but that's worth watching and then I, I, I'd argue that the final two matches have been ECW's two best pay-per-view matches of the year in certain respects two most memorable um, two most interesting uh, I'll give it a six and a half out of ten and that will bring to a conclusion this month's show a uh, big thank you first of all Pete Kimmer Pete hello uh, Pete or oh, thank you very much Stephen <laughs> thanks Bob thanks indeed enjoyed it uh, P- uh, Pete tell uh, promote whatever you like tell people where they can find your Twitter and all the above yeah I'm on Twitter at Pete one uh, I am involved in a podcast currently in slight hiatus but there's plenty of back catalogue stuff with interviews and modern day WWE which is card subject to change or at CSTC podcast on Twitter uh, lots of interviews, NXT, WWE stars on there, all sorts there to watch. But obviously, they'll see a bit of a hiatus right now, but go and check out the back catalogue. And Chris Lacey, Chris, thank you very much as always. You're welcome, Bob. You know, it wouldn't be another month if I wasn't watching ECW. It certainly wouldn't. Uh, Chris, you've got lots of things to promote. Uh, tell people where they can find your Twitter and uh, all of your podcasts. So, yes, uh, on Twitter you can find me at Lacey555666. Um, if you like to hear my music on WCW, go to Super Brawls, which you can find on iTunes and on Twitter, so Super Brawls. Um, we are at the middle, at the minute, in a bit of a hiatus just because uh, me and Tom, me having a new job, Tom working loads of hours because he works in retail around Christmas. It's well, and, and the fact you're right around the corner from Battle Bowl, I've got a funny <laughs> feeling you're just... You know, you're just trying to come up with any excuse. You're what, two shows shy of that? Three? Can't be many. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the one actually after 
Halloween Havoc. But yeah, um, so when we finally do get around to doing Halloween Havoc, then it's Battle Bowl, and then we get, you know, the the greatest show in the history of WCW, according to Bob. Um, I'm so, still yeah. waiting for the Patreon episode, aren't we, Bob, for that one? Is that right? We, we, we still are, yes, but we may never yeah. get there, which is good. <laughs> like, I'm quite relieved. Uh, we're all it's right. Still worth, it's still worth paying the $5 just to wait for it to happen one day, though, isn't it, clearly? Yes. Uh, yeah, and then if you like music and you have ears, then I would recommend Show and Tell with Tunes. Um, basically, it's a 10-song playlist that I put up. Um, literally, can go anywhere. Funk, jazz, hardcore, metal, punk, classical, drone noise. If I decide that I like it that day and want to listen to it, I put it into the list and it gets played. Um, and I have just released, let me just see, cause I can't remember what number I'm up to. It, well, the last one up was number 59, so there's 59 playlists for you to go back through. Um, you can find it on iTunes, Show and Tell with Tunes. Uh, Twitter is S Tell with Tunes, and on Facebook, Show and Tell with Tunes. Uh, as I say on all of it, if you like music and you like it, share it with friends. Certainly do. Yes, uh, it's, it's quite a busy month this month. Uh, yeah, voting right, number one, uh, the Montreal Screwjob. It, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the the, the BC. Uh, uh, hang on, uh, BC before Christ and then AD after. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's what I was getting to. It, it's, it, I was getting to, it's, it's year zero in wrestling, right? Yeah. The, the, the Montreal Screwjob. There's the stuff that happens before it and stuff that happens after it. Um, you know, I think WCW's probably happens the, the, in December as well. Um, and so, yeah, well, yeah I, I, we, we are, I am over two weeks away from taping that show and I've already watched it, uh, which is very, very rare, but it is an exceptional month. What, what's the record uh, for longest show, Bob? Um, uh, our WrestleMania show this year, 340-odd, I think. I'd be surprised if we don't go longer than that. Um <laughs> I, I would imagine you get it broken down into two parts. Uh, there's no real clean place to break. Is kind of the problem. Like the the semblance of breaking a show into two halves is you've got kind of two relatively even parts to split it into. Um, mm. But the 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 the, the bit that the, the actual match it, in terms of relative to the the, the timing of the show probably is going to be right in the middle. And so there's no real point to, to, to split one in half. It's not like, you know, if the pay-per-view was at the end of the month, you could do the build, the TV break, and then come back to the pay-per-view in the aftermath. In here, because it's like we've got the build, one episode of TV, and then the show, and the rest of the show's awful. So you kind of have to just pile through that, and then you get to the main event. And it's like, well, we then got to discuss everything on the same show, and then it's just some TVs and some retrospects, and you can't really have that as its own show. Let's see, if we go five hours, fuck it. I mean, we're booking for a five o'clock start. Um, yeah, I've got Eric waking up early on the West Coast to get this in. Um, so, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how we go. I mean, a lot of people would have uh, probably already heard of that before they get to this point in, uh, in the show. We'll see how we go. WCW volume number two, a bit quieter, a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, they, they get to celebrate the arrival of the, or the soon-to-be arrival of Bretton and all of that. Uh, but, yes, you can, uh, as we spoke about on Patreon, you'd like to say thank you uh, for any access to shows like these. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling. 20 YRS links in the podcast description and on our website. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bambi. You can find the wrestling account on Twitter at Wrestling20RS. Uh, and that will do that, I think. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been Void number three in the November 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>